Welcome to the Bardcast. It's Shakespeare, you dick. We are your ever-loving hosts. I am Lisa Ann Goldsmith. And I am your friendly neighborhood, Owen Thompson. <laughs> and today's episode is Son of Sonnet Shakespeare. So we had such a great response to our first sonnet episode uh, that we wanted to get another one to you guys as soon as we could. Plus, we have four wonderful, wonderful guests that are joining us today. Um, and we're going to be talking about their sonnets. And, and and not for nothing, there's a lot more of them sonnets, you know, so there might be future episodes. Is all That's I'm right. Saying. That's right. Because, bitches, when I say to you, how does 109 go? You don't know. We didn't That's know. Right. You don't know. You don't know Shakespeare's <laughs> life. <laughs> That's why we're doing this, because everybody should become, including us, should become um, more familiar with all of the sonnets, not just the ones that are done at weddings. And uh, you, you know what? I, I think we've talked about this before, but one of the reasons that I love doing these episodes is because I am much more of a Shakespeare play kind of guy than oh, great. a Shakespeare sonnet or narrative poems kind of guy so the it, it it forces us to look at the sonnets more closely and that's uh fantastic and you know that's there's some amazing shit in there people seriously let's Here get we, to it let's get to it hello listeners we would like to welcome to the pod our dear friend colin wolf hi colin hello thank you for having me this is your first time on isn't it it is indeed, though I have been treated to the experience of this podcast as a listener and am a great admirer. Oh, well, Thank Colin, you. You know, Colin I'm, was I'm, a I'm part shocked of our that we have Sundays. Yes, indeed. And I, I'm sorry to talk over you. I'm, I'm just saying I'm shocked that we haven't had Colin on before because we, you know, not only have we had Colin, have Lisa Ann and I worked with Colin on Zoom doing many, many a Shakespeare reading, but Colin and I know each other very well going back several years and have done Shakespeare, Shakespeare live, for God's sake. Like <laughs> I've directed Colin, we've acted together. So welcome, welcome for, for all of you, all of our listeners. It's a, it's a great treat. Colin's wonderful. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and tell our listeners what you're going to be doing in the fall, which I think is <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm uh, an actor. Um, in the fall, I'll be doing a little bit of a, of a pivot, not abandoning acting by any means, but expanding into dramaturgy a bit by pursuing uh, an MFA candidacy in that at Columbia University. And uh, most of my professional uh, bread and butter has really been Shakespeare and classical work. My uh, public high school where I was involved in theater was very musical theater oriented and uh, through college through undergraduate years I started getting some actual dedicated training in Shakespeare and it sent me out to the world better prepared to do that than just about anything else and uh, thankfully the classical theater community has taken me up on that and it is now my favorite thing to do yeah and we're yeah, it, happy it, that you do it it's seductive isn't it you know mm -hmm. you get I mean the theater bug it's it's so funny because of course they're interrelated but you get bitten by the theater bug and that's one thing but you get bitten by the Shakespeare bug and it's, it's all like, over it's all mm -hmm. over it just it gets in you and you're done Yes, yes, indeed. I, I mean, I've, I've been treated to Shakespeare growing up. My mom made sure that I watched things like the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet. Good and for her. The, the, oh yeah, no, she was she was 
you know, it was it was the the violence that she wanted to shield me from a little bit more. But you know, a teenage boy's derriere was okay. <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait. So wait, wait a minute. You're if you're mentioning the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet, which by the way I'm a fan of. Yes, you're oh, mentioning yes. a the teenage boy's butt and not full frontal nudity, which yeah, also occurs I mean, in that movie. Her, well, her maybe movies not, were out to I the guess, world in that. Film. I guess it's not quite full frontal, but it's frontal. Indeed. It's quite frontal. I thought I thought I'd shine a more emphatic spotlight on the denuded male form. And, and is, I'm sorry, is that a euphemism of some kind? <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, no, but but no, you know, Owen, what? Owen, be kind. It's his first time on the pod. I'm just, I'm just saying. We have often we've discussed that movie many, many a time and oft. And it, you know, it, because it's shown so much to high school groups and and that kind of thing, it it, it sort of gets, uh, I won't say a bad rap, but like people think of that movie as a little cliche. I I think it's, it's really charming. good. Yeah. I, I, no, no, I, I no. think it's probably the most successful Romeo and Juliet set to film, and and right up there with the best of you know, I mean, with the really quality Shakespeare films. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. You 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 feel the text excisions a little more keenly the more familiar you are with the uncut um but the chemistry between the leading actors i actually happen to like the color-coded tights i think that that is actually a totally functional it totally works a hundred percent it helps you to keep track of who is yeah. who and what is what mm-hmm. oh you and know, who I, was it who was it that we had on that said that when they showed that film in high school the teacher covered all of the oh right 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 i can't remember but yes put yes there there, there is some editing and censorship yeah. that sometimes goes oh wait on. was that caleb i think it was caleb i think it was yeah. i think it was it was it was fast forwarded frantically in my in my uh, florida middle school oh my experience God. Dear well, God. And, and, and middle school i guess fair enough but but still it's a it lovely movie and... it was eighth grade yeah. those kids were already up to you know well are... and for God's sake, tell... juliet would be in eighth grade that's right <laughs> i just worked with a bunch of eighth graders and it is like the single worst age ever and mm-hmm. this year especially because these 14th and 15 year olds were still 14 and 15 but they had been away from school so long during the pandemic that they were like acting like emotionally and socially like they were fifth and sixth graders instead of like eighth graders can i can i say anecdotally just to to, uh to your point about eighth graders when i was in eighth grade i was uh part of a group of eighth graders that were tangentially responsible for breaking a teacher's leg so um (laughs) you're correct i never i was never in eighth grade i skipped from seventh to oh that's right you Uh, brainy bitch (laughs) (laughs) and and the sadness for our listeners the sad part is that lisa and having accelerated herself through academia still has to work the streets of cleveland turning tricks for crack <laughs> yeah because you know the gas driving to cleveland to turn fair, the tricks is so fair. high <laughs> welcome to the pod colin thank you thank you what an initiation <laughs> yeah right all right so let's let's attempt to get somewhat on track here um why don't you tell us what sonnet you chose all right i chose sonnet 129 um which uh, is a little ways into the dark lady set mm-hmm. uh, it 
we had so many especially conscious ordering there. And it is one of the more explicit ones when it comes to uh, the act of lovemaking, or in this case, the act of uh, resentment making or... Uh, you can say fucking. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I've heard you. <laughs> well, but, but, I think, but I think Colin's point is right. Lovemaking and resentment making kind of combine yeah. in this sonnet. It's true. Yeah, it's true. no, it's uh, it is, it is. Anyway, at the face of it, I, I I hope to present a reading of it that is maybe a little more optimistic. But at the face of it, it presents sex as definitely a sordid and above all costly exercise. So, yeah. But Great. I'll... So, why don't you read it for us to start, and then we can deconstruct or break it down or what what have you. Great, I'll give it a go. The expense of spirit in a waste of shame is lust in action. And till action, lust is perjured, murderous, bloody, full of blame, savage, extreme, rude, cruel, not to trust, enjoyed no sooner, but despised straight, past reason hunted, and no sooner had, past reason hated, as a swallowed bait on purpose laid to make the taker mad, mad in pursuit and in possession, so had, having and in quest to have extreme, a bliss in proof, and proved a very woe, before a joy proposed, behind a dream. All this the world well knows, yet none knows well to shun the heaven that leads men to this hell. Oh man, there's many Nicely times done, dude. many times I have felt just like that in especially <laughs> in my thirties. <laughs> <laughs> really? You're singling out the thirties, are you? Well, you know, I was I, well, yeah. Because, you know, in the 20s, it was still like, it was all still crazy and fun and conquesting. And then in the 30s, I realized, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Next. Well, well, fair. And, and, and should we, well, Colin, take, mm-hmm. us, take us through the sonnet a little bit so that before we start talking about what we're talking about, we have some, our, our listeners have some idea or a better idea of what this poem is really treating of. All right, listeners, we'll be right back. We're going to take a short break. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the... One of the uh spectacular things about this poem is how concretely its technical merits correspond to its libidinous subject matter. Uh, He really kind of throws the prosodical textbook at us. He's using, uh, he's using enjambment or the continuation of the sentence past the end of the poetic line. He's using a kind of crazy aggressive alliteration. Uh, He's using chiasmus or syntactical switch-ups of the phrasing and all of this kind of creates a sense that the the poem itself is uh, containing the kind of violent fury and frustrated um, 
disappointment of this version of lovemaking. Uh, so, so even a, a clinical reading of just the metrical and uh, rhetorical devices in play only brings us more fully into that experience of sexual behavior, um, which in this case does not appear to be entirely pleasant. Um, well, and- I think, and I, you know, I, I'm not, I have to take umbrage with that because I don't think it's that it's not entirely pleasant. I think what that it, yeah, I mean, it's just not great. Right. But what comes, <laughs> but what comes after the feelings right, right, right. after is what makes it really unpleasant. Indeed. Well, he doesn't spend as much time on the middle uh, as he does on the, on the before and after, but mm-hmm. it's true that when he's talking about the actual act in progress, he uses words like bliss um, and of course enjoyed. So yes, it, it, it is it is suggested that while we're in the throes in media rest, it, it can be enjoyable, but it's so transient, it's so negligible compared to the frustration of pursuit and the remorse, the shame, the self-judgment uh, on the flip side of it. And I think, however, that uh, there is possibly still throughout this a a possible reading that could tend towards the the sex positive. Um, You look at that that final couplet and it's not really the full about face that you sometimes get in these sonnets. It's more of a, like it doesn't deny any of the conclusions brought up in the the preceding lines. It kind of resigns us to them at at the face of it. But if if we, and I know that I'm in the company of other avowed atheists, if we read this more as a, um, kind of a, a questioning of the religious framework that insists on a loaded word like lust to describe lovemaking, um, that insists on the shame to follow, um, then we can maybe see that final couplet as making a different recommendation altogether. I don't wish to presumptively impute intention to the well, but but your but your point is, I mean, in terms of like double entendre and and, and religious references, the 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 word spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I mean, the, the choice of that word. Now, I will say I will say this. I mean, one of the reasons why I hate you so much for doing this sonnet and not allowing me to choose it is because it's my favorite sonnet ever. And <laughs> uh, like not only Shakespeare, but like of any sonnet ever. And part <laughs> of the reason for that is that I, I've said this before in the pod. Um, I was lucky enough that Simon Russell Beale was a teacher of mine when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And this was a sonnet that like I uh, like I hadn't experienced before at all. And he it was one that he um, taught us. And, you know, he said a lot. I mean, he he was down with enjambment and alliteration and all that stuff. But he was all he's he's one to say, find one word, find mm-hmm. a word that is important to you mm-hmm. and focus on that word. And, and he focused on spirit and, and he said, you know, and we were like kids in London, like goggle eyed. And he's like, okay, so how many poems did, do you know that have come in them? Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Jeez. And we were like, in the first what? Line. what? And he was like, yeah, that's what that means by <laughs> the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what, that's what Shakespeare is saying. Um, and, and, and the rest, once, once you realize that, and the truth is also now, all these many years later, he's right. I mean, Sir Philip Sidney uh, explores a lot of romantic territory, mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot, right? And and the and sonnet sequences beyond the beyond from many a poet. But how many poems are there that are this 
in uh, for want of a better phrase in your face right i mean it is it is so it is so right there so i don't i i honestly think this is the most sex negative poem ever written (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i i i kind of have to agree i kind of i mean just the fact that that you know when he talks about lust he's got that long list like like uh he calls it uh, perjured, murderous, bloody, full of blame, right? Mm-hmm. Savage, extreme, rude, cruel. Yes. And I think they all sort of fall together, except perjure is like to yeah. purposely tell a lie, right? So that's yeah. implying that lust is so powerful that it forces us to like deceive ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, it, right? and, and, it, and it leads men to this hell. I mean, yes. that's where he is. Now, this is not to say maybe Shakespeare didn't get over this. And also, again, as I always say, and I always the caveat yes. is let's not necessarily read biography into the sonnets because they're poems and we don't know. Yes. Um, but it cert- it 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 this one feels really personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I, I, again, I, I I disclaim to any uh, to any psychoanalysis of the author in this case. Um, my my more uh, sex positive reading of the poem which I, is is not a suggestion that it's the proper way to read it, but it, it was actually kind of an accident of my first pass at it um, before I really dug in. And for me, uh, going back to your suggestion that we pick a really significant word, for me, waste of the first line mm. was yep. the thing that set me up yep. to have a reading of this poem. Um, I, I got to the end of it and I saw that final couplet and I put different, I, I put heaven and hell uh, in sort of a different relationship to the to the content than I than I think is indeed intended. Um, but it led me to kind of a happy conclusion. Uh, this uh, all this the world well knows, yet none knows well to shun the heaven that leads men to this hell. And when I first encountered that, the thing that occurred to me was heaven representative of a belief system that loads guilt onto this act. Mm-hmm. Shame. That's and the word that, that, that it gets to me. That's shame. the other one. Waste of shame are, yeah. are connected inextricably, inextricably in that first line. And so, yes, by all means, if only we could shun this gate-kept version of salvation that told us that we needed to feel horrible about this most pleasurable, potentially most pleasurable experience in, in human conscious. Right, uh, right. And of, and of course, there's, a, there's, there's an obvious connection between the word spirit and heaven. Of right. course. And, 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 and if you want to go down the rabbit hole, I mean, even though I, I've just said, you know, it's so dangerous to talk about biography and analysis yeah. and all of that, but it's kind of unavoidable to connect some dots because we, to the things that we do know about Shakespeare, I mean, we know he knocked Anne Hathaway up when he was a kid. We know there was a shotgun wedding. We, we know there was a separation. And it's and and what even though we don't know it, it is very very probable that he had many many liaisons during his time in London away Absolutely. from her. Absolutely. And and so it's very easy to read into. I mean, I think the Dark Lady poems are more more susceptible to this kind of thing than the Fair Young Man because they're grittier and they're they seem more out of it. You know, it's not hey, you're beautiful, have children. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it's more about the act itself. So I mean, and, and now I'm going down the rabbit hole. So I, am, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm contravening my own whatever. But <laughs> this poem in particular, there's there's you know, there's little like 129 in in the earlier sonnet sequence for me anyway. 
the first yeah, time I, I the, the first time I read this sonnet, it made me think of an experience in my early thirties when I picked up a guy at a wedding and took him home to my house, and then like <laughs> three quarters of the way into it, I all of a sudden like this switch went, and I was like, "What the fuck am I doing?" And I was like, "Get out!" He was like, "What? Get out!" And I like kicked him out of my house, but it was that feeling, that feeling mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. ah. I know what yeah. this is going to feel like afterwards, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, and 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 that's it, right? I mean, this is total. I mean, now whether it's whether it's literally mourning after regret or whether it's like social disease regret, who knows? Whatever, right? Or yeah. But it can, but it's can, regret. It can yeah, and they can, can they can inform each other forever. I mean, people who are no longer members of uh, faith traditions that enforce this relation to sex can still carry the lingering feeling long after, and people who've never been a part of those traditions can still experience a uh, uh, kind of devastating disaffectedness after the act um, if, if it hasn't lived up to expectations, um, or if it has. Um, yeah, so it's. Uh, yeah, yeah. The I I I want to the one back to Owen's earlier point um, about uh, favoring the, the ex- explicit nature of the poem over the the kind of metrical devices. There's one place where I think they're really deeply wedded, though, um, and that is uh, that is the first line emphasis feat towards the uh, towards the end of the first stanza, and then throughout that really gives that just throttling feeling of just physically failing to pursue a particular form of gratification through a act that is in itself rhythmic traditionally anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, and look that, at the way that... he uses S and sh, like S and sh in the first like line and a half, the expensive yeah, spirit yeah. in a waste of shame is lust and action. It's all mm-hmm. like, right. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that sound. That like sibilance is like a hush whisper, right? Or or like a snake or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, deception that, that, has that sound. You know. Right, right. For me, it's that that um that had having and in quest to have. I mean, the the trochaic ferocity of that line really feels like someone just failing to achieve that final gratification or any way or achieving it in a way that is just worse. Uh, than its absence. Yeah, so. well, well, I, I have the feeling that the gratification was achieved. I just think it was right. bitterly regretted. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, a different kind of right, a different kind of gratification or lack thereof imposes itself. You know. Yeah. Shortly following. Yeah. Right. Well, it's the emptiness. It's the emptiness after the act. I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like the immediate yeah. feeling of that. And and there and there are so. I mean, well, you know, of course. And now now I'm going to speculate as well. I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows when this was written? But it 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 puts me in mind of of Lear talking about you know below the waist and all of that. You know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. The, the, so all of the language that's so pejorative of of particularly female genitalia um, yeah. in Shakespeare. I mean, if it could be shown that this sonnet was written around the time of Lear, that would be interesting. I don't know how much it would reveal, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's, there, it, it's certainly not the only time uh, in, in the works that this sort of sentiment is expressed, but I think we can agree that it's 
the the most purely distilled. Yeah, it's yeah, it's ve- it's most most vehement here, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this who and and also and again, this is why it's so tempting and so inevitable that you have to at least think about his frame of mind when he was writing, because although you know he could be if he's he's writing the role of King Lear, that's a guy writing an insane old man who's king. And yet this poem seems so, so incredibly personal. It's very mm-hmm. hard to imagine that the speaker of this poem is not writing from experience. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you told me, if you could show me that this person like, like was a virgin, I would be like, nah, that no, <laughs> no, come on, come on. No, Indeed. no, you have to have done it enough for it to get boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? And or horrible. <laughs> and or horrible. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I mean, this is an this is an older person, a, a person of experience. I mean, I mean, it's impossible. Well, you know what? You know what though? I say this, and then I think of like, you know, I think of Keats, and I think of some of the stuff. Not that it's as carnal as this, but I think of some of the things that Keats wrote, and I think, how the fuck do you know that? <laughs> that's you know true I mean? but and, but but you know he, it's like you died at 25 and you wrote this shit at 22 how do you know at 22 you know <laughs> see this this is why this is why you know this is how i felt in my 30s and not my 20s fair <laughs> <laughs> we're, well, we're, Colin, very, we're very open here on the pod we Colin. are we oh, are yes. no, i, I well, have this felt- is this has been a great segment on this on this sonnet i still hate you for choosing it but it's better it's better that you did it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, why why was it better that i did it It, you know because i I, i'm i'm because i'm bitter enough about it i don't want to be even more no it's yeah that's exactly why because you're not as old and bitter as owen is exactly right well but who (laughs) is really come on (laughs) well uh there's still time before it's dropped you know for well you to- listen you're taking a dramaturgy class at columbia that is definitely a path to old and bitter i'm just saying <laughs> planning on talk, talk to us talk to us masters after you get yeah. yours <laughs> come to our graves when you're our age all right and, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll discuss this very sonnet at that time and uh, i'll yes. just say you were right exactly exactly about it <laughs> thank you colin now we have our dear friend, and uh, I must say my favorite student of all time, Simon Nigam. Welcome, Simon. Hi. Hey, so welcome. Simon and I have been working together since you were, what, 11? Yeah, but I've known you since I was seven. That's right. Oh my Jesus God. Christ, you guys. And Simon uh, is 16, going on 17, and just got his driver's license. Oh my God. Yeah. I feel so old. <laughs> well, not only not only that, but Simon's about to head off to uh, head off west to USC to take part in a very exciting summer program. So Yeah, Simon, tell us about that. Uh yeah, so this summer I'm uh going to take a directing and producing class at USC, which will go for six weeks. So I'm very excited for that. Where some famous people went to film school. One or one or two. Perhaps. Some yeah. one or two. 
Um, yeah, saw- Simon is al- Simon has also taken part. We've talked before. We haven't done it in some time, but in co- during the 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 height of the pandemic, we did the Shakespeare Sundays every other week, where we all got together and read Shakespeare plays. And Simon was a great big part of that series, a huge part. And I will say that all of our professional friends, after they would meet him for the first time, was like, "Who is this kid? And where did you get him?" Yeah. <laughs> so. So Simon's a favorite of ours, and we're f- thrilled to finally have you on the pod. That's I know, right. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Okay, so Simon, what sonnet have you chosen to do? Yes. Okay, so this is um, sonnet number 20. And would you like to read it, and then we'll discuss? Sure. Okay. Here. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> All right. A woman's face with nature's own hand painted, hast thou, the master mistress of my passion? A woman's gentle heart, but not acquainted with shifting change, as is false women's fashion. An eye more bright than theirs, less false and rolling, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. A man in hue, all hues in his controlling, which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth. And for a woman wert thou first created, Till nature as she wrought thee fell a doting, and by addition me of thee defeated, by adding one thing to my purpose, nothing. But since she pricked thee out for women's pleasure, mine be thy love, and thy love's use their treasure. Amazing. Nicely done, nicely done. So tell us why you chose this one. Um, well, to be honest, it's just like one of the few sonnets that I no, I mean, I've read all of the sonnets, but there are a bunch of them. And I guess this one has just sort of stuck with me because it's usually discussed as being one that's maybe a little more um, autobiographical, perhaps. I know you guys discussed this sonnet a little bit on your Pride Month episode, I think, last year. Yeah. And just sort of about like reading biography into his work so like whether or not it is sort of about himself I just think it's sort of interesting that it's like one of the few major ones that's like contended as like um looking into who Shakespeare was as a person Possibly. yeah well I yeah. Well, yeah. I have I have to say I was gonna I was going to say for the we're actually recording this on June 5th yes. um so it's 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 a perfect selection for for pride month obviously absolutely oh my god because, yeah, I mean, even though like the, the question of reading biography into the works is always tricky, but you're, you're dead on right. Of course, this is one. This is a particular sonnet that people will look to to try to read biography uh, in, in, into, right. um, you know, and you have I mean, and for uh, for trying to claim Shakespeare as LGBTQ, which is, you know, I mean, it, it's certainly possible uh, that he was. Um, but you know, the whole master mistress thing obviously has been picked up on a lot. A lot. Yeah. And I mean, you know, to, to be fair, the amount of time that he talks about women in this poem is, is, is very small and he sort of, um, dismisses a physical relationship with a woman. It seems yeah. to me as being sort of pointless and on, on the other hand, he also, oh, sorry. No, no, go, no. Go ahead. Go Simon. Ahead, Simon. Well, gonna, he also sort of insults women like he says they're faithless um when he's describing this man he's saying like um uh he's gentle like a whim a woman but 
isn't um, like is is faithful. He calls um, he points out uh, like false women's fashion. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. He's uh, it's sort of it's sort of like the the uh, the beloved, if you will, the young man is like the the best combination of masculine and and feminine traits. Like he's as beautiful as a woman, but not, quote unquote, faithless. Right. But Um, he's very, very clear uh, in the last two lines. I mean, he's but since she pricked the out, I mean, that's a pun on, you know, what part of him makes him for women's pleasure. Right. Well, he and and right before that, he says, you know, by adding one thing to my purpose, nothing. So one thing is obviously his penis. And And, we've talked about nothing being no thing. Right. Nothing being slang for vagina. So, you know, but but also, interestingly, in terms of like rejecting women as partners, he does also seem to reject men as partners by saying, by adding one thing to my purpose, nothing. You could read that as being like, like, well, you have a dick, so um, you're not for me. Right, right. right. I mean, that, that you, I mean, again, that's one reading of it. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that one thing refers to that and that nothing refers to vagina. And then it, if that isn't enough, but since she pricked the out, oh, makes well, it pretty God, yeah. clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, you know, let, let's let's be fair, right? You know, it, it is also possible that part of the purpose of by adding one thing to my purpose, nothing is. I mean, you couldn't really say at that time, you know, yeah, I'm into men, right? Because it was a yeah, crime. Sure. I mean, honestly, I didn't pick up on the puns when I was like reading into it and researching it. So sort of news to me but that's <laughs> oh that's, yay that's so we, what we're here so for we've, we've brought yeah. you all the dirty stuff <laughs> yes but, but i mean why because I, I was going through um like the alexander schmidt lexicon and like uh, like translating it and trying to think mm-hmm. of what everything means and that you're an excellent so, student i'm <laughs> proud Simon. So, but those is that I'm not familiar with the Alexanders. Is that sort of like No Fear Shakespeare where they translate? No, no, no. It's a lexicon where they have the usage of almost every word in Shakespeare, what the particular uh, meaning is in that particular usage. Me so stupid. <laughs> but I mean, but those two um, lines, like uh, by addition of, uh, by addition me of the defeated, um, defeated supposedly according to the lexicon uh, meant like, uh, uh, like to disappoint, like disappointed. So mm-hmm. I had sort yeah. of read it as, and it, it makes sense what you're saying with like the sex puns and whatnot. But what I was sort of thinking is that he's saying, um, like, uh, like disappointed that this person is a man because then he's unable to like pursue them with purpose being defined as like, like the wish to pursue something. Yeah. yeah, well, I don't. But I don't. I don't think those two readings are at odds with each other. In fact, I cool. think they yeah. just underscore each other. So, in other words, if you, I mean, um, and again, I'm not saying this is a hundred percent even my reading of this, but it could be read basically, blah blah blah. Oh, you're so great. You're like the best combination of man and woman. Blah 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 blah. And if you were a woman, oh my God, you'd be so perfect for me. But sadly, my purposes are defeated because you're a man. Yeah, but but I think it, th- those lines can also be read, you know, that as far as the speaker's concerned, this this beautiful person who he's talking to, the addition is nothing. It's literally nothing of any consequence that it makes no difference in the nature of his love and desire for that person. 
Sure. Um, and I would and I would and I would also say, and actually I had never thought of this before this conversation, which is why these are so much fun. Um, the, the, the thing, one thing that's interesting is what is omitted in this poem, because most of these, or certainly a lot of these poems to the, to the fair young man are basically, you know, go have babies, right? I mean, right, right. Like, so there's nothing about procreation in this poem at all. So it's, it, you, you, again, if you want to read biography and you could say the, the poet, the, the speaker as so like, he's, past like advising him to go be with other people because he's so in love with him yeah maybe yeah yeah, yeah could be one thing that i found that's i don't exactly know what it means so i'm happy i'm excited to hear what you guys think but there are 11 syllables in every single line of this sonnet as opposed to the regular 10 and i know like uh there's like the masculine endings where it's like, there's the emphasis on the last syllable, which these, you know, depending on like how you look at it, there's not like an obvious emphasis on the last syllable, but if you're just reading the regular, like iambic pentameter, like, like hard soft, then it is ending on the 11th syllable each time, which would maybe be stressed, even though it doesn't make sense with the words. Right. Or, I mean, as you and I have worked, Simon, what, you know, what what does it mean when something is out of meter, right? Oh, what does it mean? Really, what really, does it mean when really something's big... out of meter, right? It means that somebody is either, you know, if there's too many syllables, somebody's either lying or somebody's very emotional. And I think this is a very yeah. emotional poem, right? These this this speaker's words are just sort of rushing forward. Yeah. So much to say, right? And so yeah. so much emotion behind it. Yeah, you 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 really. That's why I'm, un, uh, uh, you know, uncharacteristically quiet because you kind of gobsmacked me. I never, I had not realized that about the yeah. eleven syllables, and you're absolutely right. And I don't know what it means, but I guarantee you, it ain't no accident because he didn't make those things. Right. Yeah. I had oh. to. I went back and like counted like three times before going. Wait a second. Like, this is different. Yeah, and yet it's perfectly metrical. Even yeah. though, even yeah. even though he has added the the additional syllable, he's managed to get it into the the iambic rhythm each time. Right, right. But it but it is long, right? And the whole point of like you know going through the iambic pentameter and doing the scansion in first folio technique, which I, I know, oh, and you and I differ a little bit about that, is to find out where it goes out of meter, right? Because if it goes out of meter, something's going on something emotional is going on. And I think that sure. that's really clear in this sonnet. Yeah. But it, do, but it doesn't go out of meter. That's, that's what's, that's it, why it, I never does, noticed the it, 11. Well, it does go out of traditional iambic pentameter. That's the point. A woman's face with nature's own hand painted. A woman's face with nature's own hand painted. It's 10 and a yeah, half. Yeah, that's true. It is kind of 10 and a half. Yeah. Wow. It's tricky. That's, that's super interesting. And also, you know, I mean, if, and again, this is hard too, but to, you know, the numbering of these sonnets is so tricky to, to know if like they actually wrote them in this sequence. But if this is, if he did write this, if it really is the 20th sonnet, it's pretty early for him to be playing that kind of game. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, he was a, if, if, it, if it's, if he's writing this in, let's say 1592 or three, which was when we think he probably wrote the early sonnets, He's a very, it's that, that, it, that's, 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 this trick is 
to me anyway, the trick of a of a more mature Shakespeare. Although we don't necessarily know. No, we right? don't. We don't know. No, we this don't. could have been a later one that was then put back because they thought it. It it absolutely could. Stories. And and another thing that argues for that is the fact that there's nothing about procreation in this, and it's out of context with the other early sonnets. Absolutely. So that could be. That's an it. Wow. That that there. <laughs> there's a dissertation there. There's a dissertation <laughs> there. That may be something nobody's written about. So anybody out there that needs a dissertation topic. Hey, Colin Wolf, think about this when you get to Columbia. (laughs) What a great choice, Simon. Really, really. Oh, the the other thing that I wanted to say about, and and again, this will fight the later thing, if it is a more mature Shakespeare. But in terms of, Lisa Ann, what you said about, like, you can't come right out and say, I'm into dudes. Right. Because it's illegal. Right. right. But if Shakespeare is and and this is germane to the early sonnets, even if this isn't one of them, if Shakespeare, if if we're talking about Shakespeare in 1592 or 93, that's still when he's in the throes of imitating, slavishly imitating Christopher Marlowe, who was pretty openly, you know, gay as well, homosexual, let's say. I mean, it was well known that Christopher Marlowe was had those proclivities. So and that's who his clearly his idol is so if he if he's imitating you know there 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 could be some imitation there too i also i also want to point out going back to the iambic pentameter you know when it ends on an unstressed syllable it's feminine and i think it's interesting that he has written all of this sauna where he's talking about you know uh, you know, I, I I love you because you're a man, but women can have you because you're a man. That he has written this all in feminine endings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Simon, my God, thank you for bringing this sonnet to us and letting us hear you talk about it this way. It's amazing. Yeah, oh my God, true. we learned so. I love I love doing the sonnet series. You know, it's like going back into them and, and, and really starting to open up your brain about what was going on. Oh, yeah. I Well, and Simon, you've taught us stuff about this sonnet that I never knew. So and thank Simon, you. Simon, I'm so proud that, you're, that, that your, your habits have been placed well and they are still strong. Yes, all, all thanks to you, no doubt. Oh, pishaw. <laughs> So we want to welcome back to the pod our dear, dear friend, Michael Daly. Hi. Hello. Hi. One of our our favorite guests and people and actors. And you guys have certainly heard him a bunch of times, but uh, Mm -hmm. now you actually get to hear him um, the way we know him, which is uh, as a brilliant Shakespearean actor. Don't oversell me. I may screw it up. (laughs) Also, also a fun, fun fact for people playing at home. This is one of the few times that we're that we're actually capable of saying all three of us have been in a Shakespeare play together. That's right. Often there are one or two of us or two of us or different permutations. But there was a time many years ago where Lisa and Michael and myself were all in a production of Romeo and Juliet together. That's right. That's right. That's right. You were Lady Cap. Yeah. Lisa Uh, Ann was Lady uh, Cap. You were Friar Lawrence and I was Tybalt. That's I was right. also the prince, I think. Oh, you yes. were. That's right. You were right, also. You the were. Prince. Well, you know those TYA contracts. We got to stuff as few people in there as possible. Yeah, I know, but I mean that's a great, you know, two houses stuff in the beginning. I remember um, Jenny saying, who was playing Juliet at the time. She said, uh, 
you know, toot my own horn here. She said, great job on getting the, to be quiet. Because there's kids. And they're like, how about two households? Like, Ooh, they quieted down. Hell yeah, they were terrified. It's not just shouting. <laughs> right. That was the no, you also just drew, drew them in. Uh, the Jenny that Michael is referring to is Jen Thompson, who is Owen's sister. That is right. That was she was Juliet in that production, and that was also the production at one performance in which the kids threw Skittles at Romeo and Juliet. Oh, those Skittles, bite-sized candies. I love them. Red, <laughs> red, green, yellow flavors. Any kid will love in your eye on stage. Thank you. Oh my. Oh my. Thank Sorry, you this, for that. This is sonnets, right? Sonnets. Um, so, Michael, what sonnet have you chosen? I've chosen sonnet 104. Anyone want to know why? Yes, of course we do. <laughs> sure. Um, well, uh, well, do you want to read it first and then we'll do oh, Sure. <clears throat> sure. Actually, you know, with, um, I know this isn't like sonnet class, but there is something I wanted to, to sort of show with this sonnet, which is why I think it's so cool. But if I can do it two ways, would that be okay and not take too much time? Any sure. way you oh, like. Oh my God, of course. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> well, like you do in this day and age, or I do anyway, when it comes to sonnets, I don't have, you know, a textbook knowledge of them. Uh, I just, you know, I, I know the famous ones and I know the ones that I've worked on and so forth. But so I did look at this one and hear and heard different performers do it. Some famous, some not so famous. I like the famous ones in particular. But, um, <coughs> pardon me. Michael's the, getting over the, the Rona people. Yeah, the Rona. Yeah. Coronavirus, coronavirus. <laughs> anyway, I uh, I want to just do it first the way one would think. Hmm, Shakespeare sonnet. You got to take out my heavy breathing. <gasps> no, it's, we love it. Okay, love great. Heavy breathing. <clears throat> me too. I love breathing. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Sonnet 104 by William Shakespeare. Done without my special trickery added to it. To me, fair friend, you never can be old. For as you were when first your eye I eyed, such seems your beauty still. Three winters cold have from the forest shook three summers pride. Three beauteous springs to yellow autumn turned in process of the seasons I have seen. Three April perfumes in three hot Junes burned since first I saw you fresh which yet are green ah yet doth beauty like a dial hand steal from his figure and no pace perceived so your sweet hue which methinks still doth stand hath motion and mine eye may be deceived for fear of which hear this thou age unbred ere you were born was beauty's summer dead yeah, okay there's a reason it's famous but now I want to hear yeah. it with your special <laughs> So, well, he, this uh, is one of the, I, of course, there are things that you do in Shakespeare, you color words, you know, the comparisons are uh, three beauteous springs, beauteous springs to yellow autumn turned, you know, you, you can change the yellow autumn is a little drier and springs is happy enough. Um, uh, three, three April, three April perfumes, you smell those perfumes in three hot Junes burned, uh, it's sweaty, you know, that's an exaggeration, but any comparison, you have to have, you know, the antithesis thereof, if, as much as you can within realistic reading conventions. Yeah, so I not... always talk to my students. And, about uh, and of course, inflection. And, and inflection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, you have to paint. Of course, Othello's got more pauses. Anyway, 
Uh, so for which hear this, there. And, and another thing, another thing that someone told me years ago, back in Baylor College, England, you see, uh, Oxford, you see, uh, he said, you have to earn the right to say these words. You have to really know what they mean, what they're saying, not just the definition, but Agreed. Take, take, yes, agree, take it a step further. There's something, it's almost like Shakespeare built in some Foley, some sound effects into his mm. very words. Mm-hmm. Like there's something even in, in not not in this, but of course in O for Muse of Fire, the famous opening speech from Henry V. Uh, and talking about Henry, and at his heels, leashed in like hounds, should famine, sword, and fire crouch for employment. Well, there's a bark in there. Leashed in like hounds, should famine, sword, and fire crouch for employment. This, you know, you can't do a sound effect, but there's things he built in. I think yeah, you're making it up or it's real, but I tend to play it if it plays. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. It makes sense to me. Um, so here um, we have, uh, uh, where is it? Um, oh, <laughs> to me, fair friend, I'll start again. To me, fair friend, you never can be old for as you were when first you're, I, 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 such seems your beauty still. So there, when you see someone who's so beautiful, you can't really speak. So Shakespeare has you literally going, I, 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 I can't believe how beautiful you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's layered that in. And uh, three winters cold have from the fortune. And there's another one. In process of the seasons I have seen. Now, this would be better if he was talking about an April night or something. But I hear crickets in this, you know, in process of the seasons I have seen. The seasons. Like, yeah, totally. You, know I mean? you can't, again, you can't demonstrate it. You can't do cricket, cricket, cricket seasons I have seen. But I think if you oh, color that. He does, he well, you could, but it would be bad Shakespeare. Right, right. Um, I think that's all the really big ones that popped out in this one. So let me try it again with those things in mind and antithesis and, you know, coloring sure. the words, et cetera. Right, here we are. To me, fair friend, you never can be old. For as you were when first your eye eyed, such seems your beauty still. Three winters cold have from the forest shook three summers pride. Three beauteous springs to yellow autumn turned. In process of the seasons I have seen three April perfumes. In three hot Junes burned since first I saw you fresh, which yet... Are green. Ah, yet doth beauty, like a dial hand, steal from his figure and no pace perceived. So your sweet hue, which methinks still doth stand, hath motion, and mine eye may be deceived. For fear of which, hear this, thou age unbred, ere you were born, was beauty's summer dead. Yeah, what, Michael, I, Michael, that's like a master class in painting. Yeah, I, I really, really, really hear all that. But can can I ask you, what is your take on the last couplet? Um, I when I first read it, I thought uh, you are unbred. You're you you the, the 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 object of my desire, be it woman or man. Your beauty, for fear of which, hear this, thou age unbred. In other words, ageless one, before you were born was summer's, summer's beauty dead. In other words, when you were born, suddenly beauty arrived in this world. 
Um, so what's what is dead? Well, mean, then? You know, here's here's something I have a, a, a dead and unborn. I think you know it was dead. It wasn't there until you came back. However, I have a different take on it. I think yeah. he's talking to like generations that have not yet come. That's exactly. what I think too. Exactly. Yeah. And that like was, out, you know, out of you know, like out of fear of this, you know, you generations that are that are not yet born yes. before you were even born. You know, this amazing beauty was already dead. Yeah, right, I think not- so too, because like th- that's what I think. What he's he he may be wrong. Like he says, "Oh my God, that you're just as beautiful as you always were," but but the the pace is not perceived. So you're maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm deceived. So listen to me, everybody that has yet to be born. Mm-hmm. The most beautiful person that ever lived is already dead. So exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and that's and that's the way. Hopefully, I played it because I'm talking to this person. Oh, fair friend. Oh, you, your beauty still. And then I turn around to address a second person, which I don't know if it's common in a sonnet to address a third, to address somebody else well, or some that, other thing. Certainly, that 180 that is yeah. common in Shakespeare in the last couplet to like make yeah. that huge change. Absolutely right. For fear of which here this thou age on bread, that sort of vitriol maybe underlying that thou age on bread, not hate, but definitely someone that I I don't really admire so much. Ere you were born was beauty, summer dead. Yeah. Know this: all the beauty, the, the pinnacle of beauty, has already passed. So yeah. you have to live without it for the future. I and, see and this like like this this mental image that I have is this person talking intimately to this amazing person that they love and then all of a sudden it's like they're turning around and yelling to the world yeah exactly well he does i mean he does it all the time like there's dozens of these sonnets where he addresses the ages you know like right right, right. and how he how he's going to preserve the whether it's the young man or the dark lady or whoever the hell in he's going to preserve that beauty in his verse mm-hmm. right i mean that's that's a trope that goes through this the other <laughs> thing that strikes me listening to this um, and, and listening to your amazing reading of it, um, you know, so the whole point is like, you can never be old. You're, you're the same. It doesn't matter. You're still so beautiful. But at least to him. Only, but he's only referring to three years passing. Mm-hmm. Three winters cold. So that's not a lot. Right. So here, here. Oh, my God. I met you, let's say, when you were 22 and now you're 25. Oh. Um, <laughs> you know, well, that's not you're still going to look pretty good. You know, if it were like 30 years, it would make a little more sense. Three years just seems like kind of minimal to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it means, but it's, you know, it's a short time. Yeah. Well, I mean, people also had much shorter lifespans. Right. right. Fair. That's right. fair. You know. Yeah. And it's hard. I'm not sure if they, the three winters cold happened from the forest shook through in its summer spot. I'm not sure if that really has much bearing on the object of his affection. Or if it's just a clever way to say that time has passed. I, um, yeah, I mean, I just think. But it does set set aside. It does set up the the image of the of the seasons turning. Certainly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the dial hand moving. You know, like, like I guess that's the, the dial hand. Like, of is it a clock? Is it a sundown? Because it's not. The, it's not per, the pace of this of the process of time is not perceived. Right. No, but right. it's but it's uh, definitively a symbol of time passing. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. Clearly. Yeah. I say, I think because of dial hand, I pictured it as a clock. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're probably real, right. It's real early, but. Um, yeah, I see clock as well. Yeah, it's got to be a clock because a, a sundial doesn't have a hand. Duh. Kind of has that pointy thing in the middle, science has discovered. The pointy sun. The sun. It's called a sun poker. 
a, sun, a, sun, a shadow a shadow pointer a shadow a sun a sundial shadow pointer point it points at the time a time pointing shadow shadow <laughs> pointing <laughs> yeah i mean i looked it up yeah that <laughs> pointy pointy <laughs> thank you for bringing this to us Michael. oh my god michael this is great well, thank We're you so grateful that you're you're willing to play with us in our insanity. <laughs> yeah, I know it's fun. It gets me to do sonnets, you know, just no not too much call for sonnets anymore, which is a shame. I know, right? We started to do this and I was like, oh my God. I mean, unless it's so a wedding or a funeral or thought about, you know, right. in forever. Right. You're right. It is like weddings and funerals. That's when they get wheeled out. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes once a year the people <laughs> will do like, let's read them all in a row. I have this ancient poem. <laughs> Led me not to the marriage of two minds. Lady Bracknell doing a sonnet. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, this is so cool. Well, um, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on once again and uh, and being so brilliant. We love uh, you, Michael. We do. So proud to be part of it and happy to be asked. Thank you, guys. And we want to welcome back to the pod our dear friend Harper. Harper York, how are you? Welcome um, back. Thank you. Thank you both. It's wonderful to be back. Um, yeah, doing great. Enjoying some crazy weather here in Pittsburgh. Um, oh, back in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, the beautiful clouds. People call it the, the what do they say? The, the most beautiful sunset they've ever seen. Um, saw that the other day and it truly was it it, it didn't look real it, it looked like a painting which was right. kind of cool yeah it's cool i mean you know when it's beautiful here it's beautiful mm, it's when it's gray it's gray which is a lot of the time but oh yeah no that day it was supposed to be good. catastrophically bad and then we get this you know i'll take it you know the treat right? of clown <laughs> and, and harper i understand that you are about to uh, be doing some Shakespeare, yes? Do you want to tell our, our listeners about that? Absolutely, love to. Um, yes, I will be doing some Shakespeare uh, later this summer, uh, rehearsing in August, performing in September. Um, I will be doing Lysander in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and it will be my fifth Midsummer Night's Dream, which I think is probably pretty classic whenever you become, you know, a Shakespeare veteran that uh, it is the show that you oh, yes. more often than not. Yes, yeah, I think and, I, and Lysander, I think, was the first part I played in 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 Midsummer, but by by no means the last. <laughs> and Harper is going to be playing with uh, Lysander with the company where Harper and I did the all female Julius Caesar together. Absolutely, very uh, exciting. Super excited uh, about seeing it. Um, so what sonnet have you chosen to do for us today, Harper? I have chosen sonnet number 27. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Um, shall I just jump just right in? Dive Why in. Not? And we'll, then we'll discuss. Beautiful, wonderful. Weary with toil, I haste me to my bed. The deer repose for limbs with travel tired. But then begins a journey in my head to work my mind when body's works expired. For then my thoughts, from far where I abide, intend the zealous pilgrimage to thee, and keep my drooping eyelids open wide, looking on darkness which the blind see. Save that my soul's imaginary sight prevents the shadow to my sightless view, which, like a jewel hung in ghastly night, 
makes black night beauteous and her old face new. Lo, thus by day my limbs, by night my mind, for thee and for myself no quiet find. <laughs> Lovely. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh my God, we're so lucky to have these amazing people on. Yes, we are. We <laughs> certainly are. Truly. We're, and we and we, not only are we lucky to know them, we're lucky that we've been able to convince them to come on and play with us. Yes. So um, why did you choose this one? This was one that has been something that you know, I have somewhat said that I, I think I said on the past on the show, perhaps not, but you kind of a nomadic performer, um, but always you know, traveling here and there. Um, and when you first brought up uh, the possibility of us doing a sonnet for you, um, I had recently come back from having been away uh, from my loved ones for quite a time. When you were in Portland. Uh, yeah, when yeah. I was out in Portland um, performing um, you know, this new piece out there. Um, so, yeah, sort of jumping on the nomad train again, um, but, you know, working hard and, you know, as many uh, say like working actors do you know you know i call it sort of like being on the grind you also have a day job um and i was doing what i call triple duty then um i was working remotely full-on working remote for my east coast job on east coast time um then i was you know, you know doing rehearsals and performances uh for the show out there um but you know also teaching at point park university oh, right. um, the movement you did the movement class right yeah i, I uh, taught there taught more movement there this past year um and so i was doing um you know remote you know rehearsals and then also uh teaching students uh, in the on the east coast um and there were times where i actually would do when we actually got into the run because it was a decent run it was five-week run yeah um, I did what I called the Harper Shuffle, which is that <laughs> I would perform there on the weekends. Like on the Sunday after the matinee, I would get a flight back to Pittsburgh. I would teach classes in Pittsburgh, you know, beginning of the week. And then I would jump back on a plane on Wednesday to fly back for a Thursday show. Madness. Uh, absolute madness. No kidding. Um, but originally it wasn't supposed to be that uh, grueling of a schedule. Um, because it was originally scheduled during winter break, um, but because Omicron um, shoved everything backward, delayed it by you know, essentially like 10 weeks, um, it, yeah, necessitated either leaving the production or getting creative with time. Um, and I so chose to be creative. Um, in any case, back to Sonnet 27, um, you know, I was absolutely exhausted especially during that time you know working um loving everything that i was doing you feeling great about being actually able to do live art again um but there was no rest um and at the same time you being away from you know, my loved ones sort of like the repose for me of like actually getting to lay down my head for a few hours and just thinking about them and dreaming and perhaps and hoping to meet them you know in that in the land of nod you know, you know in my dreams um and so this one really had great resonance um and i had thought about it during that time and so whenever you you know, asked for a sonnet that we wanted to do i was just like that's the one that's the one for me right now 
Wow. You know, and there's so much like, I, I love this on it. And what I, a lot of what I love about it is the alliteration and like, you know, mm. like lines nine and 10, save them. My soul's imaginary sight presents thy shadow to my sightless view. It's yeah. all that kind of sibilance of that, you know, which is kind of dreamy and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that idea of like, as you said, the, the siblings that drifting off to sleep, you know, things do get elongated and just drawn out. And then you find yourself, you've drifted off in a land of you know, fantasy. And, you know, maybe, you know, in this one, in the sonnet, and, you know, a lot of times in our own hopes, we want to find our you know, loved ones there. Sometimes we find ourselves in an adventure where we're like, tumbling down a hill and you crashing into things right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and Dreams you know oh and you were talking about the the the, the <laughs> we or we were talking with michael about the the closing two lines you know how they often take a turn and <laughs> i love how in this one there's an exclamation of frustration right at the top of it yep you know? yeah low the the thing that strikes me like listening to it again and listening to the way you read it really opened it up for me um you know, it's I, you. If can you, it's so hard to put oneself in Shakespeare's head because he so much obviously so his genius dwarfs us all. <laughs> but so I, but I can only imagine how impossible it must have been for him to shut his mind off. Sure, you know, okay. and and to me that's always I always think of that when when I visit Hamlet in any way because you know Hamlet can't turn his brain off either. No. Um, but, you know, can you, I mean, it, it, I can only, so, you know, when I, when he says he's so tired, he's working so hard and yet mm -hmm. thus by day, my limbs, by night, my mind for thee and for myself, no quiet find. It's not just yeah. this quest for finding his loved ones, but also he just can't stop thinking. Right. You know, I Even mean, though it, his it, body is on the point of, you know, expiration. Absolutely. Right? I mean, the mind yeah, is still spinning. The mind that was capable of writing and inventing all of this stuff in such a tremendously short amount of time, it mm -hmm. must, I mean, it just like it, it just kept coming out of him. So it must, I mean, and so that's a gift, obviously, but it's also a burden. I mean, you know, I started smoking weed in college because I couldn't turn my head off. No, I mean, I'm no Shakespeare. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I've, you know, that, that idea of not being able to turn the mind off, it's, it is so, so resonant. Um, you know, there have been plenty of times where I, I, I used to find myself awake at 2 a.m. just having thoughts and you know, ideas yeah. and dreams and knowing that I need to go to sleep because I've, you know, got to get up, be up at 6 a.m. You know, mm -hmm. to start the day again, you know, and you know, one of the things, you call it you know, training or whatever but you know, breathing exercises actually have really helped me you know, like later in my life it's just like you know finding a way to center myself but you know, even still there are times where I will you know, be awake and you know, sure. my wife will roll over and she'll be like is everything okay I'm like yeah I'm in bed I'm I'm, you know, I'm resting but I've got thoughts I've got things yep. right. that are going on um, and how they yeah. split off, like the one, you know, I'll wake up from a dream and I'll have one thought and then that'll lead me to something else. And then that starts the spin. Of and course. I'm never getting back. And, and I have often found like it, the more slammed I am and the more things I have going and the more tired I am and should be sleeping. Sometimes that just makes it less possible to get to sleep because you're doing so much that you're think you're naturally thinking about all of those things and you're so oh, yeah. jazzed from all of the work and yet so tired. So it's a very natural thing. I, I think, I think. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, one hundred percent. It's those things that's just like, no matter how tired I am physically, I must wind down. Whether it's with a book, whether it's like a mindless game, which I'm not the biggest fan of. I actually not the biggest fan of mindless games, but sometimes it's a, you, whatever it is that allows my brain to wind down and turn off so that I can fall asleep. Yeah. I, find, I find that prison quality crystal meth is. <laughs> but that's me. But that's me. Yeah, you know. Kids, if any kids are listening, I'm not recommending pr- crystal meth. He's joking. He's, he does not have a medical crystal meth card. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Because it has to be prison quality or it's no good. That's exactly. Right. Like if you get any step above prison quality, you know, it's just too much. You know, the exactly. experience is too high. Yeah, then you'll but be up all night. That that would help a zealous pilgrimage to thee, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hmm Yep, absolutely. Well, Harper, mm. thank you so, so much for coming on and bringing this sonnet for us. And Thank you for giving us such a gorgeous reading of it. Really, really. You're welcome. Absolutely a pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on again. Yeah, we'll have to have you on again soon. We would Please. love that. Anytime. I would say doesn't need to be recorded because it's, you know, by the time this air is probably irrelevant, but uh, going to be in New York for a 4th of July weekend. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know the last time I was there, you were actually laid up with COVID. Um, so, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if it'll fit in my schedule or even in yours. Uh, I'd have no idea what your plans are, Owen. But uh, I, I, I will be in. I'm in rehearsal right now. Mm. Um, but uh, so over the weekend, I might, I might have some time. But I am. I've just started rehearsals for a production of House of yeah. Bernard Alba. So I know. I, I may be a little wrapped up, but but let me know and let's see what happens. I'd love to see you. Look, I oh. love this. We're making plans online. This is I love yeah. It. It's like we're using technology for what it's supposed <laughs> to be used for. <laughs> Not just just this podcast shit. <laughs> Shh. We weren't record. Oh yeah, we were recording. Oh, we are recording. Are we recording? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my god. The recording went back on. All right, we're going to stop now. We love you, Harper. We love, <laughs> love you, Harper. you. Goodbye. Well, that was an amazing episode, I thought. Oh, what do you think? Well, we're so lucky to know these people is all I can say. Oh, my God. Thank you again so much, Colin and Simon and Michael and Harper, for not only your incredible talents, but your unbelievable insights into this work. I mean, they smart. They smart. They so smart. We're so lucky to have these people in our lives. We don't, but they smart. That's well, speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, we haven't asked you guys in a while, but please, if you're listening, uh, go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a a review and a a five star review. We would like that. But also write something. Um, And if you have anything to say directly to us, please send us an email at thebardcastudick at gmail.com. Don't forget to visit our website at www.thebardcastudick.com where you will find links not only to our charities, the Actors Fund and Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, but also links to subscribe to our podcast, in which case you will receive swag. That's right. We have swag. It's waiting for you. It has your name on it. We mean that. 
100% true. You know, it's it's a crazy time right now. Owen is directing a production of The House of Bernarda Alba, and I am the dialect coach for a huge production of Kinky Boots. So the fact that we don't sleep and get on and work with these people is all for you, dear listeners. We love you. We, we do. love you. We do so much, so very much. <laughs> and remember... <laughs> It's Shakespeare, Shakespeare, you dick. Holy shit. That was pretty good. You think? I do. We'll We'll get it right one day. We will. Um, Guys, we're going to have a special surprise for you coming up here in July, but we're not going to tell you what it is now. Teaser. Bye. The preceding podcast was a production of Country Matters, LLC, copyright 2022, all rights reserved.